0: And welcome to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. I'm your host, In Narwin, and I use they-them pronouns. Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness is a collectively-run publisher dedicated to producing and curating inclusive and intersectional culture informed by anarchistic ideals. We publish all kinds of things, from books to zines to podcasts, with genres ranging from fiction to memoir to comics. We're looking for stories that don't know where they fit in, for people that don't know where they fit in. On this podcast, we have audio versions of our monthly featured zine, read by a brilliant voice actor, along with interviews with the author. We also make these really cool little quarter-sized zines of the monthly feature, which you can get mailed to you anywhere in the world if you sign up for a Zine of the Month Club on Patreon. Before we get to our feature, we have some exciting news. Our newest book is out for pre-order right now, Escape from Incel Island by Margaret Killjoy. It's a hilarious and oddly heartfelt romp about escaping from an island prison. Pre-order it now on our website, and get a free poster of the cover art drawn by the amazing Jonas Goonface. The book comes out February 1st. This month we have a piece by Kelly Rose Flugback called Why Sheep Might Save Your Life One Day. Read Read along on our website, or sign up for our Zine of the Month Club on Patreon to get a copy mailed to you. Stick around after the article for an interview with Kelly. We talk about writing, preparedness, monstrosity, and a whole bunch of other things. The audio for the interview is a little bit messy this month, so apologies. Um, also in our preparedness conversation, I just want to hammer down the importance of a multitude of skills that are non-traditionally viewed as preparedness skills, from physical skills to emotional skills, from building things to knowing how to hold emotional or conflictual space. Um, I mentioned a party game which I actually now find really stressful. Um, but about finding out what skills you and your community have for preparedness. And I just want to emphasize how important a huge variety of skills outside of physical survival skills are. We are all vital for our survival. But you'll you'll hear about it when we get to it in the interview. Our reader, once again, is the amazing Bee Flowers. There is a link for
1: them in the show notes. We hope you enjoy. Why Sheep Might Save Your Life One Day by kelly flugback narrated by b flowers published by strangers in a tangled wilderness i've always had an appreciation for the warmth and durability of wool clothes spending a good part of my teenage years sleeping outdoors hitchhiking and hopping trains it did not take me long to realize that wool not only keeps you much warmer than cotton or synthetic fibers it also dries faster and does not succumb to mildew as easily there were a few winters where I wore thick wool sweaters layered under a leather coat as a windbreaking layer, and found this significantly warmer than any winter coat I could get for cheap or free. Aside from those with down fill, which are not affordable to many people, most manufactured winter coats that are in circulation are 100% synthetic and not designed to hold up to any kind of extreme weather conditions. Knowing some of the properties of wool made a huge difference in my level of comfort during years when I had very little money and was often stuck outside in negative zero temperatures. My interest in wool really deepened when I had a kid. Having lived off grid a couple times, as well as growing up on a farm, which had electricity and plumbing but was not close to any stores, I wondered what people did about diapers in the days before disposable hygiene products. If you've never taken care of a newborn baby, you might not be aware that they're almost constantly peeing due to how tiny their bodies are. While I knew about other cloth hygiene products, like menstrual pads, the question of diapers seemed like a different category altogether because of the sheer volume of various kinds of liquid and goop babies are producing 24-7. As soon as you've changed a newborn baby, they need a new diaper, and they will pee again and possibly vomit while you're in the process of changing them, getting you and or your blanket and sheets wet in the process. The volume of waste this creates in the form of plastic diapers was extremely disheartening to me. Why should caring for a person I desperately wanted to create a livable future for involve contributing to the plastic waste that is making our planet unlivable? Without knowing much about cloth diapering, I bought a second-hand set of cloth diapers in an online group and was disappointed to see that they still relied on plastic covers, which snapped over them as a waterproofing layer. I'm not sure what I had expected to see, but it wasn't more plastic. Partly out of an interest in history, and partly out of a desire to envision a future without dependence on plastics, I started asking older people in my life how their parents kept babies clean and dry. While disposable diapers only began being produced in the 1940s, They are now considered household necessities in North America. My kid's Nana, who grew up in Pakistan, said she remembered some people in rural areas making the waterproof layer for diapers out of discarded plastics, like raincoats and shopping bags, or that, more commonly, children were taught to indicate needing to use the potty from early infancy, which I tried with little success. My aunt, whose family immigrated from northern Germany, said she recalled her mother boiling the cloth layers of traditional diapers to disinfect them after washing, but couldn't remember what the waterproofing layer was made of, if there even was one. Eventually, the internet led me to the topic of sheep's wool and sheepskin being used for medical and hygiene items, including cloth diaper covers. I'd always thought that the sheepskins my brother and I had as crib liners when we were babies were just a relic of my mom's European background. However, as I've become increasingly aware, the old folk traditions which many people leave behind in exchange for modern convenience often hold key insights into how we might adapt to the dissolution of supply chains in an uncertain future. The more I researched wool, the more I became intrigued by its significance as a survival material. Sheep products, it turns out, have remarkable properties for taking care of the very young, the very old, and everyone in between. Much of this is due to a naturally antimicrobial substance called lanolin, which is unique to animal fibers such as wool, alpaca, and cashmere. Produced by the sebaceous glands of woolly animals, lanolin acts as a natural form of waterproofing and also has the ability to kill bacteria which can cause infections. Even more fascinating, is lanolin's ability to neutralize urine into an odorless salt when it dries. While at first I was confused by the fact that people don't wash full diaper covers after every use, I was actually amazed at how long it took them to require washing. Body odor from sweat is also neutralized by lanolin, which is one reason some people prefer it as a base layer for athletic activities. Not only is it more breathable than synthetic materials, it also does not develop the permastink that can affect synthetic workout clothes. Lanolin's anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial properties, as well as its ability to act as an air permeable barrier, meaning that it allows skin to breathe while keeping dirt and bacteria out, make it an ideal dressing for moist wound healing. Lanolin remains one of the most effective ways to treat nipple injuries from breastfeeding or chest feeding, as it allows the wound to breathe without drying it and causing the skin to crack. In a survival situation, nipple injuries for a nursing parent can be seriously concerning, as they can deter a baby from wanting to feed, possibly leading to weight loss or dehydration if there are not other ways of feeding them available. One of the reasons sheepskins are still used in modern medical care settings is the specific spring-like composition of wool fibers, These springs create air pockets, which provide cushioning and allow air to flow through the material. This means less risk of pressure injuries, otherwise known as bedsores, for people who are bedridden or use wheelchairs and cannot move from their wheelchair on their own. Pressure injuries are both painful and dangerous. Infection can be fatal to a person who is bedridden, especially if they are elderly or have a compromised immune system. The cushioning and antimicrobial slash wound healing properties of sheepskin can help to deter these injuries in ways that other forms of bedding cannot. These air pockets are also the reason wool garments can keep the wearer warm in cold weather and cool in warm weather. The semi permeable nature of wool fibers allows wool to wick moisture away from the skin, where it evaporates, creating a layer of dry air and helping the body to retain heat. Or in warm weather, dispose of heat through the evaporation of sweat. I could spend a couple paragraphs trying to inexpertly explain the science of how a chemical reaction between water molecules and wool molecules works to generate heat when wool is wet, but in my opinion what's most important to take away here is that wool clothing, if you get wet in cold temperatures, can be a deciding factor in whether or not you get hypothermia. Anyone who has been stuck in freezing temperatures in damp clothing knows the creeping dread of feeling your body struggle to maintain its core temperature against a cold and wet environment. This can be followed by shaking, dizziness, fatigue, and if you are not able to get help, death. Thankfully, the two times I have experienced hypothermia, once as a kid when I fell through ice, once as a teenager when I got covered in mud at an outdoor punk show in March, And didn't realize it would drop below freezing at night, I wasn't far from other people and was able to get into warm clothes and close to a heat source. If this hadn't been the case, it's possible that the clothing I was wearing could have been the deciding factor in whether I was able to reach help on my own fast enough. Whether you call it spiritual or simply sentimental, there is also something meaningful to me about using natural fibers in our clothing, and what that says about our interdependence with the other living things we share the earth with. While high-tech performance materials like Gore-Tex require massive, unsustainable supply chains to produce, wool requires knowledge of caring for land and animals. In a capitalist mindset, wool's value indicates that it can have a higher monetary yield than other materials, driving the impetus to produce it for cheaper and in larger quantities, resulting in harm to the sheep who provide it. When our environment, including our clothes, becomes increasingly synthetic, we lose the acts of everyday gratitude and reciprocity our ancestors practiced with the plants, animals, and land, which provided the food, clothing, and medicines we need to survive and live well. One distinct memory from my childhood is being able to see and hold the wool garments which had been made by my great-grandmother. When it is well cared for, wool is extremely durable— able to last generations, unlike the synthetic materials that are largely used in today's textiles. The mati capote, a cape-slash-coat made from wool blankets, and the fin talukot, an insulated boot made from scraps of wool quilted together, are two examples of a wool textile's ability to have multiple, wonderfully useful lives. Shoes made from plastic cannot be repaired, and clothing made from plastic fibers often becomes unwearable too fast to warrant repair. All of this is built into the system of constant consumerism in which we must replace wardrobe items every year, if not every season. I can't help thinking of the ways that our shift towards synthetic clothing and other items which are designed for the landfill in under a year have been part of larger cultural shifts. When we do not inherit material items from our ancestors and do not think of what we will leave behind for our descendants, whether those are blood relatives or otherwise, does it not, in some way, shrink our understanding of time and intergenerational responsibility? Making your own items from discarded wool. Because felted wool is so commonly discarded, many of the wool garments I make cost close to zero dollars in supplies, My winter boots this year were handmade by me from a heavily felted wool sweater someone was throwing out, all lined with sheepskin. Spending multiple hours in negative 10-degree weather on winter hikes, they kept me warmer and drier than any commercially produced footwear ever has. When I realized my kids' snow pants were left behind on a trip out of town, I made a new pair out of a thick wool blanket. They stood up to three months of snow forts and tobogganing without being permeated by water. It's important to note that wool is most effective in below freezing temperatures, as it will eventually become wet if it's constantly exposed to moisture. Aside from the fact that these things saved me money and were, in my opinion, superior to store-bought items in my price range, there was once again something sentimentally significant for me about sitting down for hours to make clothes with my hands, rather than exchanging my labor for money to buy items manufactured by exploited workers and destined for a landfill. Like generations of people before me, I was using the materials I had on hand to create something that would keep my family warm in formidable weather conditions. Although a day at the Sled Hill only a few minutes away from our electrically heated home is a far cry from the long expeditions spent hunting, herding, and migrating, which my ancestors made similar clothing for, The act itself gave me a deeper appreciation for the generations of survival which have gone into textile making traditions. Even if you don't believe you'll ever need to make your own clothes for survival, I think that learning these skills can calm and center the mind, and give us a sense of connection with the past and future. To start a sewing project, here are some basic tips you might find useful. Felting, which happens when a knit wool garment comes into contact with heat and agitation, think of a sweater shrinking in the laundry, means to some people that the garment has been ruined, when in reality, the shrinking and locking of the fibers, depending on the thickness achieved, have now made it even warmer and more waterproof, ideal for mittens, hats, and footwear. Not all wool can be felted, and some, referred to as superwash, Is manufactured specifically to resist felting. You can't always tell how well a wool garment will felt without trying it. You can do this by throwing it in a hot wash and then in the dryer, if you have access to laundry machines, or by submerging it in cold water and then into boiling water, and agitating it with a stick or other long stirring utensil. A variety of sewing patterns for easy beginner projects like hats and mittens can be found online for free or at low cost. Some are a physical printable pattern, whereas others will give you instructions for drafting your own pattern. To make boots, you can use a pattern for slippers and attach a purchased rubber sole or your own leather sole. For the attaching of a sole to the body of a shoe, I recommend a strong adhesive like contact cement, as well as stitching with synthetic sinew, or actual sinew if you have a source for this, which can be done with a cobbler's awl, sometimes called a stitching awl. When sewing thick felt, whether you are doing this by hand or on a machine, I recommend using leather or denim needles as the material can be tough enough to break standard needles. Most wool still retains some of the natural lanolin, although multiple washes will deplete it over time. Try flicking some water onto the wool. If the lanolin has been depleted, it will soak into the material rather than beating up on the surface as it does with lanolized wool. There are ways to re-lanolize the wool, making it as water-resistant and antimicrobial as ever. This requires lanolin, which can be bought as a thick paste or a liquid, and an emulsifying agent. A small amount of baby soap or wool wash works fine, although emulsifying cubes specifically for wool care are also available for purchase. To lanolize wool, you can start with a sink or bucket full of lukewarm water, then dissolve about half a teaspoon of lanolin into a cup of very hot water with a drop of emulsifier, and stir the solution until it turns white. When it's well dissolved, add it to the lukewarm water and mix. Then immerse your dry wool items and leave them to soak for a minimum of three hours. To dry, squeeze the water out and lay on a flat surface. To maintain lanolin, you can keep a spray bottle filled with the white lanolin solution and periodically spray your wool items on the side that comes into contact with moisture. Enjoy your wool garments and remember to store them with pieces of cedarwood to protect them from moths.
0: Uh, hi, and welcome to the podcast. Um, would you like to introduce yourself uh, with your name, pronouns, um, and kind of just what, like, what do you, what do you do in the world? Who are you? What, how do you, how do you occupy the void?
2: How do I occupy the void? It's a great question. Um, you know, it's always a funny question. I always feel like, like what identities are. I was, I was fine. It's more comfortable to try and explain like things I do right now than like explain like who I am, you know? Um, totally. So yeah, like I'm am a writer. I write poetry, I write fiction. I have done some like grassroots journalism and worked on, you know, uh community-based research and on policy documents. Um so I do all kinds of writing. Um I also am really into sewing and textile arts of all kinds. So I um you know, I make clothing i do custom alterations and i also teach workshops on both those things so i do you know
3: workshops in the community on um stuff related to writing and publishing um and also to you know making and repairing clothes
0: yeah cool that's awesome yeah
2: and um you know she and they pronouns work for me um what else is yeah <laughs> I don't know I sort of prefer to sort of just like let who I am show in in you know what I'm what I'm saying you know
0: yeah totally um so we just listened to uh this lovely little um article I guess would call it yeah um, <laughs> uh why sheep might save your life one day um mm-hmm. and um you know, I, I usually like to start by asking people kind of like what the story behind um, behind their piece is. Um, you know, the stories within the stories, and uh, you you kind of delve right into it in the, like the opening paragraph um, of like looking for alternatives to disposable diapers. Um, and but um, I guess maybe would you want to talk a little bit? maybe tell us a little bit about like the more so the impetus maybe for writing a piece like this rather than like the how the specific piece came to be relevant in your life does that make sense
2: yeah sure um (laughs) what you know what spurred me to write it i think that i you know with winter was around the corner and i so naturally that sort of puts me in like preparation mode because i like to diy a lot of things um in the last couple of years i've been trying to go camping with a couple of my friends like uh regularly throughout the year so i was like thinking about winter camping and stuff um and we're planning you know um like what materials to bring with us what to stock up on um, and of course there is tons of very expensive high tech stuff you can buy for winter camping, but like my first thought was, I need to tell my friends about like wool and sheepskin, <laughs> cause I'm just <laughs> obsessed with those things. Uh, it's kind of like my, you know, one of my neurodivergent special interests. I could just talk about it for hours, um, which I did in this article. Um, so, you know, I was just like, we need to make sheepskin hats. We need to make sheepskin boot liners. We need to stock up on wool. We need to do this and that. Um, and I was sort of just like, you know, maybe other people would want to know this stuff. There's a group that I follow called Canadian Bushcraft. Um, it's, it was actually started by a guy who is from, one of the indigenous communities that's really close to my hometown he's from hiawatha first nation um if you look up canadian bushcraft you'll find this awesome group and they share like traditional indigenous and like early settler survival skills um and there had been a couple of posts on there about like wool you know and it's like oh blah 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 have you ever bought like a wool one of these things you know like just (laughs) members of the group asking stuff about that and i was like. People are curious about wool. They're seeing wool products when they're, like, Googling around for survival gear and outdoor gear for when they're, like, hunting or trapping or, like, you know, trying to be outdoors in the in the cold months. And I was like, maybe other people actually want to know all this <laughs> shit that I've just spent so long, like, learning about, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, did Did y'all end up making all of that stuff like sheepskin hat sheepskin like liner, like boot liners
2: yeah yeah I've been doing it for a couple years so I just finished um my kids newest like winter coat so it's wool uh quilted together with like the insulation from an old sleeping bag. I really like to repurpose materials. And please no one think that I'm letting my kid walk around looking <laughs> like <laughs> fucking something or other. It looks very professional. It looks store bought. <laughs> I swear to god, I'm not like exposing them to being bullied um with my eccentric clothes making. But uh yeah, I know. So I made that um I talk about making wool snow pants in the article. Um <laughs> I have made
3: sheepskin boot liners, like,
2: for myself. Uh, Yeah, I usually... There's been a couple years where I made, like, sheepskin hats for everyone I know that spends a lot of time outdoors. Um, And, you know, to go off of that, I want to always tell people, like, if you have old fur coats or something that you, like, inherit from grandma's attic or something random like that, it's, like, homeless folks can really use those, right? People, I think, don't often think about just how much warmer those natural animal materials are than like anything synthetic that you can buy right
3: yeah um
2: yeah like the difference is so noticeable and if somebody's going to be outside for a long time like they you know they can really use it
0: yeah yeah um a friend was recently telling me about um going to this like uh like knolls instructor course or something but it was like in the middle of like some winter time uh that you know she doesn't normally experience and um uh just this kind of like stark difference between like the clothes that she had versus like the clothes that a lot of the like knolls instructor people had which were like mostly oh, yeah. like endless series of like puffy Jackets and like a lot of like synthetic like camping equipment and stuff like that and um like kind of, like hearing her kind of describe the differences between like what she was wearing which was like clothes for working um versus like what uh a lot of these very like outdoor tech focused people were wearing was like really just really like wacky and 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 interesting like showing right. up and like you're like yeah. wool well, like whatever like like sheepskin like things and someone's and versus the contrast of like fluorescent puffy like mm-hmm. synthetic materials i don't know it was yeah. it was funny
2: yeah, no, it's so funny. And it's like, I've met people that, you know, swear that they hate the winter. And I always just want to be like, do you actually though? Or do you just not have the proper gear? Right? Like, of course, it's gonna be unpleasant if you're freezing your ass off. But it's like, you know, yeah,
3: you don't have
0: to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, I've never lived somewhere with like a really brutal winter. And, um which is also why I've never acquired real winter clothes. Um, which is why wow. I feel like I'm like not prepared for winter is because I don't have real, like, you know, real winter clothes for like being out in the elements. So,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, what, what kind of like, I guess like there, there's some pretty like fun science stuff in the, in the article, um, And uh, I was wondering, like, what kind of, like, research went into kind of, like, writing it, like, finding out, like, the properties of lanolin or, like, how molecules interact with each other.
2: Yeah, um, it's super interesting. I think that, like, as it uh, says in the article and stuff, um, like, I started learning about those things because I was just so puzzled by this existence of like wool diaper covers for cloth diapers i was like how does that work like how does that not just like collect pee and like stink and isn't that disgusting like is this some weird hippie thing that's actually super gross but they think it's okay <laughs> like, um so i started learning more about it and when i tried it i was like that is actually really remarkable like the um the substance that is produced by the the sheep's like glands um it's naturally antibacterial and it neutralizes urine like it makes urine dry to this like odorless salt which is like it's bizarre you know it's almost it's like magical to me it. <laughs> it's like it's pretty amazing um and I think I had always heard just anecdotally that wool is the only thing which keeps you warm even when it is wet um I had always heard that kind of anecdotally like Um, I guess maybe because a lot of my dad's family is, like, from up north and had lived sort of, uh, in more rural areas and had, like, worked outdoors and stuff, um, I would always sort of, like, hear that, I guess, from him or, like, from other people who were around that, like, wool socks, like, other things that they could save you from hypothermia. Um, (laughs) So, I you know just had to do some googling over like, but why is that um is it just because it traps body heat like why could it be And I found out, yeah, these really interesting kind of facts about this whole like process at a molecule level <laughs> it's like <laughs> it actually is still gonna be generating warmth um
3: even when it is wet,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I'd always heard that too. You know, I feel like everyone's mm. heard that anecdotally, but yeah. Um, to have it scientifically, not that science is like more like um, legitimate than like anecdotal or like kind of like pass down information, which is also scientific. Um, For sure. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's It's still cool to like learn how those pieces fit together.
2: Yeah, you know, like to look at it under a
0: microscope and be like, "What are the molecules doing that like makes that happen?" You know. Yeah. Wait. Did you do that, or did someone? Or I did not. Or, I, no? I just okay. googled it. <laughs> okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's fun. Um, or yeah, I did, like you mentioned, like in the article, like um, talking, like kind of like talking to like other people, like um, your, I think your, your kid's Nana about mm-hmm. like, um, about like things that other people have done, like, d- is that like, well, like, what is that kind of process? Like, do you do that for learning about other things, how to make other things or I'm blabbering now, a uh, general no, preparedness question. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, I feel, you know, that, um, you know, newer generations, like, we have lost a lot of the skills, and um, particularly, I think, myself, like, coming from this, like, immigrant background on my mom's side, and, like, talking to other people who are here, like, first generation, second generation, it's, like, sometimes there's this sort of, like, drive, uh in our families to like leave everything behind in like the home country and just be like, no, don't like, don't think about all that stuff. Like everything is new here. Like just parade like disposable lifestyle, like forget about um, all the sort of like old ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it just sort of, it gives me a sense of like groundedness, um, learning sort of like low tech uh, like older ways of just doing everything relating to survival skills that's one reason that I sow so much right it gives me a sort of sense of continuity that I am doing something that like people in my family have done for so many generations that has like you know kept us alive through long winters for like many uh many centuries and stuff and that's one reason I think I really like to teach other people to sew and to make clothing because I think it just, um like the way our society is set up now, it's sort of like we're so cut off from where everything comes from. Most people are not like growing our food. We don't have a connection to that. We're not making anything from scratch. You know, we have forgotten how to like build shelter, provide for ourselves treat illness without you know um yeah like all of that stuff you know so I think it's sort of for me at least it can be like this really centering kind of thing talking to older people like talking to people from different places and different cultures about like how they have done things seeing what's different what's similar like you know what I mean it's yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah it's it's a really I don't know, it's really, like, fun. It's a really fun way to learn things, and it's a really important way to learn things. Um, like, I don't know, especially in the, like, it's fun to be able to Google everything, um, but I kind of wish that I learned more things by talking to people or by talking to, um, talking to family members or talking to uh, people who have, like, practiced Dist these things in like real intangible ways um yeah i don't know it's it's i feel like it's becoming more difficult in the the age of youtube
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and i really I, don't like that
2: no me neither and i think so many people like forget uh that not everything can be googled right like knowledge like any kind of like traditional knowledge anywhere in the world is so much deeper than what could be what is available on the internet you have so many like specific sort of like regional local ways of doing things there's things Mm -hmm. that like stories or traditions that only a few people might even know about right and it's like that can't be googled you know that's not on youtube it requires talking to people and you know
0: making connections and yeah yeah and like forming these senses of like like community around knowledge um in a way that I feel like the internet kind of pretends that it is that but it's not really
2: (laughs) yeah definitely definitely like there's so much there's so much knowledge available on the internet which is great in so many ways but it's not always like shared in a responsible manner like a lot of things you know they'll i'm sure you've seen things go viral, and then someone else will explain like that was inaccurate it was an appealing idea but it's not actually true right um and yeah i feel like there's no real substitute for actually like sitting around with people and sort of like talking face to face or you know I mean I know that's tricky because a lot of people are immunocompromised and there's still a pandemic but you know even just talking to people one on one whether that's like on the phone online or whatever um it's not something that we can like achieve on a, a message board you know in the same way
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it it's funny because like i'm I'm saying this but it but the you know, we like run this other podcast, live like the world is dying. Like it's a yes. it's a podcast about talking to people on the internet about skills and knowledge and preparedness. And I guess I maybe want to pretend that that feels like a little bit different than the like endless hole of the internet, but <laughs> maybe net. No, yeah. No, I want to think, I want to hope that it is a little different because I think it's different if you're, you know, yeah (laughs) (laughs) are do you do you practice like any kinds of like preparedness sort of things beyond like uh making really awesome wool clothing
2: let me see what else do i do um like i have a small amount of experience like building shelters and stuff um I'm sort of... Yeah, it's funny. I really just like zeroed in on sewing as <laughs> so like this main <laughs> thing. And I think it's kind of interesting because it's like so many people, Um, they might want to be like, I don't even know any of their names, like these dude bros that have shows where they like go out in the wilderness all alone and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> you know, do I need to know everything? Is life long enough for me to even excel at everything in like a meaningful way i don't fucking think it is like if i have some kind of a problem and i need to know what herbs will help me i'm gonna ask a friend that's like really passionate about herbs because that's not me you know what i mean yeah like (laughs) i'm the person that can fix your clothes or like tell you what materials to wear to like stay warm like um yeah like I totally you know i I stand other other kinds of like survival knowledge um I sort of dabble in them um but uh yeah I wouldn't say any other ones are like my expertise or yeah,
0: yeah, and you know it's like i I feel like that's like a fun party game is like going around and being like okay, so um <laughs> uh we're faced with this fun. Like, like real preparedness situation. What skills does everyone have? And um, it, I don't know. It's like fun. It's fun to see kind of like what your community like knows and like can can bring to like that kind of a scenario. Because like everyone, you know, everyone has something like that. I can't theoretically could sew. (laughs) I would not want to rely on any clothing that I sewed. <laughs> mm-hmm. to survive. But I'm sure you would
2: learn as you went, you know what I mean? Anyone can learn it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but you know, it's like helpful to have that like it's like if someone knows how to sew and like make cool clothing like that, like that's awesome. I will sharpen people's knives. That's all I got.
2: Useful, totally useful. And it's funny, you know, um I think that's something that I keep thinking about um as I sort of like navigate just this difficult world with you know the people that i know and love and try and sort of support others and like be supported myself um in the face of like so much crisis around us in so many ways i have to think about like there's just so many survival skills that people don't think of as being survival skills but like Mm -hmm. being a person who is a really good listener or like has a really comforting presence being a person that can sit down with somebody who's like in a crisis and be like hey you know maybe you don't actually want to die right now you know what i mean like these are such huge survival skills that like my mind keeps going back to it's like that's literal survival you know how do we support each other like emotionally as well through really difficult times um and like literally you know (laughs) Like, contribute yeah. to each other's survival in that kind of way, right? Like sometimes I think that's one of the most important ones. Um, there's people out there who are like, I have this much ammo stockpiled and it's like I don't know. <laughs> I don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And it it's like not a I don't know. That kind of bunker mentality of uh preparedness is not I don't know. I I'm I'm gonna feel sorry for some really lonely people if they are ever definitely. faced with with that,
2: definitely, like I often think about you know how that is to me at least one of the most central parts of survival. It's just like can you build relationships and can you <laughs> continuously like rework and repair those relationships as time goes on and as things change and as people fuck each other over and upset each other and you know what I mean um. Yeah, because no one is gonna live for long alone in a bunker, and if you do live for long like that, you're gonna be real weird by (laughs) then.
0: You know? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe those people will feel ready to participate in meaningful community
2: after that. That would be nice. That would be cool. That would be nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, and kind of like I don't know, like another. I feel like key aspect of you know things beyond survival or is like having people who like hold stories or hold knowledge um just to tie this back into writing um like i don't know like that kind of like oral tradition or written tradition or like whatever kind of like like holding of history that people do like that's super important um Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering if you would want to kind of tell us a little bit about, like, how you came into writing or, like, what that kind of, like, path has been like for you?
2: Yeah, how I came into writing. um, I'm not totally sure. Like, I started writing uh, poetry when I was, like, really young and it was sort of as, like a emotional outlet of sorts like I was always the person who was like reading the song lyrics on whatever cd I was (laughs) listening to you know um I was always sort of just like very interested in like what images words can paint in that kind of way um and you know it has been a long journey like I sort of got into, like, grassroots journalism. I I, n- I have never been to, you know, journalism school. Um, I have done a lot of university. None of it was in creative writing or journalism or anything. Um, so I sort of, like, got into journalism through DIY kind of news outlets. Like, um,
3: what's the one I'm trying to
2: think of? There was, like, the media co-op, um, which I believe was national their yeah new sort of newspapers um and magazines like the dominion and briar patch and things like that those are places i have worked with um that have published sort of my news writing um and that you know i think it was like being around sort of like social justice movements and things and also sort of that um an interest in storytelling because often the nonfiction like the news articles i've written it has been because someone approached me and was like kelly i know that you write can you please like expose this horrible thing that i have seen happening with my eyes like people in the community know is happening um and like the big newspapers aren't talking about it um you know and uh it has always been like a real I don't know it's just such an honor that anyone would like trust myself with their stories with their experiences um and I think you know after my book of poems came out I had sort of this realization in like how I was looking at writing and publishing um which is that Part of me was still stuck on this idea that if I published something, it had to exist as like this proof of like my intellect, you know, that I was trying to prove to people that I was smart, that I was right, that I had some kind of like intellectual value or whatever. It was very like reactive, right? Um, and I realized that I had like gone through this change where I was just like, it is not about that. It's about creating something that I'm sort of like giving to the audience. Right. It's just like, how will this benefit people? How will this comfort people? How will this uplift people? How will this inform people? How will this like empower people? Um, yeah. That's sort of like, yeah. If that makes any sense, you know, it's, it's always sort of like this this journey of like you know reflecting on like the content that I am like writing that I am putting out there and also reflecting on my own relationship with like creating something that's going to be viewed by other people that's going to be like open to interpretation by other people Um, and it's like (laughs) how do we tell stories responsibly how do we uh, like move through the world as you know, someone who is in this position to be like talking and to be being listened to, how do we do that responsibly? And it's like a never ending thing, right? I think we have to always be like re-examining, reassessing, looking at, you know, our actions, our ethics, et cetera. Like, you know, like always always going back to that, right?
0: Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's, that's really cool. That's like a wild way to kind of like get into journalism um yeah (laughs) i suppose so i don't know um yeah and so you you've written some like kind of like journalistic stuff and um then you you also have like a lot of you have like a a few poetry like or pieces out right i think i think that i think that we published one of them a really long time ago
2: Yeah. That was my first ever chat book. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's like a chat book. So, you know, like a shorter than a regular poetry manuscript, it's called these burning streets. Um, And uh, then, yeah, my first full length poetry collection is called the hammer of witches. And it was published in 2020 uh, with Caitlin press.
0: Cool. Yeah. 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 I got to, um, and I, embarrassingly like, you know, kind of trying to research a little bit about people before interviewing them I found some recordings of you like um uh saying saying some of your the poems from that book and oh cool they, they, they were super cool I'm like oh dang I want to I want to go read this <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome I'm glad you liked it yeah um do you ever get into like like other forms of writing besides like journalism or poetry or I guess like what would you call this kind of piece i'm not really sure where to situate it
2: it's hard to say i would call it like a personal essay because it's very like you know it's like first person it's like talking about like you know um my own like experiences or whatever talking in first person but it's like an essay right it's like a personal narrative i don't know
0: (laughs) Yeah, with like a little bit of like how to at the end, which I love. Yes, with some how
2: to. I hope people like the how to. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know if you I, I or if you ever develop that into like a like a little zine over like how to how to make some some wool clothing. Um I bet we would love to publish it. <laughs>
2: Awesome. I'm trying to do something like I would really like to make a craft or sewing manual. I would love to do that. Um, I'm, I just got to find a way to like organize my thoughts in a way that's going to make sense to the reader. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you ever write, do you ever write like fiction or like anything like that?
2: I've had a few fiction pieces published. Um, and is something i really struggle with i have like a, a folder of unfinished short stories i would love to finish them <laughs> someone please tell me how you know it's uh it's super difficult like uh you know a news piece it's like the facts are already there you don't have to come up with them you know it's like people are telling yeah. you what to watch when you're interviewing <laughs> them or when you're finding you know data or documents or whatever else um and uh fiction you know i I mean a a poem also it's like yeah you have to like imagine it all yourself but it's very, it's shorter (laughs) and it doesn't have to all make sense you know uh yeah fiction is a challenge
0: yeah yeah that yeah that's that's very very reasonable you know i publish (laughs) fiction but i don't really and i write some of it sometimes but i'm like awesome i'm not super engaged in the in the craft of it and it sounds intimidating (laughs) it's hard it's hard (laughs) what the hell is a plot arc yeah i don't know um i don't know i did read um it was a while ago i read a book that uh, where the author announces in the in the introduction he's like this book isn't gonna really do what a book is supposed to do (laughs) but i wrote it anyways and it didn't it did not have a real plot arc and it was wonderful yeah no i respect (laughs) it you know i'm like you do what you want that's cool (laughs) yeah yeah do the characters end up changed afterwards i don't know yeah does the author know maybe maybe not yeah um what kind of stuff have you explored in in fiction or in poetry like what kind of like themes or topics or like plots do you like to play with
2: well you know i've heard other people say that my poetry collections like explored a lot of things around grief um around like uh like queerness around like the the body and around like disability and illness um and I uh you know I also I use a lot of imagery that is like sort of like speculative or you know often like horrific like I read a lot of like horror genre um I watch a lot of horror movies and uh I think some people might feel that it's like that cheapens literature that there's no place for like a genre thing and like literature um i just don't care because it's like if that is (laughs) my vibe if i like horror i'm gonna write horror you know what i mean i will write you know poems with like horror elements and i think also part of my sort of like attraction to that is it's like using those sort of themes of like myth or like monstrosity or um you know, sort of, like, the the things that are not necessarily, like, possible or, like, material in our daily reality, like, using those to make sense of, like, real-world horrors, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, sort of, that's that's a lot of it. Like, my the collection I'm working on right now, which I'm in, like, the final editing stages of, it explores a lot of things around, like, ecological grief and around, like, personal grief right um like i feel like i sort of i can't separate my poems from like the like news writing that i've done they're often have to do with the same topics like i have written stuff about you know like the the overdose crisis that we have like you know everywhere and particularly in ontario Um, and uh you know the sheer number of people that have like been lost in recent years because of these like bad policy decisions, uh, regarding, um, you know, like criminalized substances and healthcare and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of like, I, yeah, I think, you know, grief, but also like regeneration and, uh, you know, like, hope is those are big themes in sort of what I'm writing right now with poetry. And, um, yeah, I mean, not, not everyone is going to get those experiences, but I find it's like, I'm writing it for the people who do, you know what I mean? Um, when people reach out to me and they'll be like, Oh, I lost someone or I experienced this or like, I have this specific sort of like, you know, this really spoke to me. Um, that's you know that's why i do this very like vulnerable and embarrassing thing of sharing my poetry with the world right like it's not always easy but it's sort of it's a form of connection right it's a way of connecting with other people to share stuff that's inspired by personal experience even when it's like hard
0: embarrassing
2: when you're opening yourself up to being misunderstood or judged or whatever um yeah yeah dang
0: yeah um this is this this is the thing that i like to talk a lot about so it's like fun to um encounter people who like use it in their work but um what like what sorts of things do you like to explore within like kind of like monstrosity as a theme
2: um i mean it often comes back to like queerness and monstrosity um like this and also like disability and monstrosity like I am a person with like chronic illnesses I've gone through various periods of being like disabled to various degrees and stuff um for a number of years of my life I was like very disabled uh you know compared to the amount of like mobility or like everyday sort of like function that I have now um and so it's sort of Brought me to a lot of places within my mind about like you know the body being monstrous, the body being like broken or different um you know uh yeah, and then also like I sort of have a fascination with like folklore and sort of like going down these rabbit holes of like researching uh you know old stories and stuff like that, um. So sometimes my poems are about literal monsters, (laughs) Um, you know, that have existed in stories for like a long time. And again, it's like, that's, I will still sort of like tie those things into like, to queerness, to like gender, to the body, to, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a really, I don't know, it's, it's a fun theme. So I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, it's fun to hear, like, how other, how people, different people use it. Um yeah. Do you have a do you have like a a keyed in on like monster in in your in your world right now? Or like a So favorite? there was
2: <laughs> the last poem I had published, um, it's in this awesome anthology from Arsenal Pulp Press, um, which is called Queer Little Nightmares. Um, and it's all queer monster fiction and poetry what um, yeah That's awesome. it's amazing i really <laughs> recommend everyone goes out and reads it right now like it has some really stunning pieces um so my poem that is in it is about a obscure monster that you know there's there's ones about the classic monsters there's you know there's like vampires there's like werewolves there's all that stuff mine is a more yeah. obscure monster not to be all indie and like oh i like the <laughs> monster that no one else likes um but yeah it's uh it's called let me see if i can pronounce it right it's called the Kyokugrim. um <laughs> so, so it's like yeah this is a word that exists in like different scandinavian languages and it means church cool. spirit or church ghost well. um yeah like it's church very...
0: referring to like what
2: so here's the thing i mean do you mind if i just like Because <laughs> no, it's a fascinating please. it's a fascinating like uh folklore <laughs> rabbit hole to me i am obsessed with this creature so the story begins long like long before there was christianity in like northern europe um like the oldest buildings that they've excavated, you know, like these like Viking longhouses and stuff, um, often had people buried in the foundations of the building. And this would often be like when a person died, it's like people wanted to keep them close. Um Mm -hmm. and would, you know, split open the clay floor and like put their body under the floor and they would always be there. Um if you were a real asshole though, they had these things in these buildings called the corpse door. And they would carry your body out through the corpse door so your spirit could never find its way back in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right? There's like old stories about stuff like that, like people who were just real assholes who got taken out like through the corpse door and like buried under some rock somewhere. Um, so, yeah, you have like this long tradition of people being buried under the floor of their homes. So when Christianity came to these parts of the world, um, you have a lot of instances where it's like the christian traditions get mixed in with those pagan traditions and of course the mm-hmm. most obvious one is christ christmas right like yeah. um there's yeah it is it happens on the winter solstice on like the yule lot or whatever like the you know the yule um <laughs> festival yeah and uh so there is instances then of People and animals being sacrificed when churches were first being built in like Northern Europe, um, where they would like be buried dead or potentially alive in the foundations of a church that was going to be built. So it's like we have this super creepy thing that started happening and it's kind of reminiscent of like these older burials. Mm-hmm. And it carried through into like the Christian era. Um, and then out of that comes like this whole fol- folklore around this church spirit, um, that would either be like a human or an animal, like potentially a goat, potentially, you know, like a, a human, um, that would be like forever sort of like tied to the church. That would, the spirit yeah. that was supposed to then guard the church, um, or, you know, it always seemed like this very, you know, like a prison sentence to me. It sounded like this creepy thing where I was just like, we're going to bury you here. You can never leave. This is just your job and you can never fucking clock out even after you're dead.
0: Um, yeah. I feel like this is right? how revenants are created. I feel like revenant is the appropriate word.
2: Yeah. Right. So it's like, there was just something about this idea of like a person or like a human or an animal being killed just so that a church could be built that like it just seemed very reminiscent of like what christianity did to queerness in that part of the world too i was like there's something gay about this ghost like about this revenant there's something fucking gay about this um you know this idea of like something being like annihilated and that its death would like sanctify like the new thing um being built and uh yeah yeah, um, and, you know, tangentially related, like, the original stories from, like, just so much of, like, that, from of, like, Scandinavia and stuff, um, like, are very, like, inherently queer. Uh, there's this guy who runs, like, uh, I don't know, he has a YouTube channel, he has a bunch of other shit, but it's called Nordic Animism, and he has a whole video that's just called Norse Cosmology is Queer as Fuck, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it is right? So I was just, you know, that was my whole long winded explanation of like the inspiration for this poem. uh <laughs> yeah, for this weird monsters anthology. Um,
0: yeah, but I hope everyone goes and reads right after listening to this. Me I'm too. going to, <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, you know, yeah,
0: dang cool um thanks for thanks for giving that info dump i <laughs> I, I want a podcast that's just about this stuff um sub- Same. Sub- submit something else to us about this stuff so we can have another another interview about it yeah totally um but we probably unfortunately maybe have to wrap up soon um totally info dumps eat up time <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, do you, are you excited about like writing similar pieces to, um, things like why, sh- why she might save, save your life one day? Um,
2: yeah, you know, like if, if I have stuff that people want to hear, like I am more than happy to write it down and try and make it comprehensive, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would love to write more sort of like how to things if people want to know um, any, any skills that I can share. Like I'm, yeah, I'm always excited to share them. It's always really cool sort of, yeah, hearing what other people think and like what they got out of it. And yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, And you've already kind of told us what, what else you're working on, but do you want to, do you want to recap what, what else you're working on? Right now.
2: Yeah, what am I working on? I'm mostly just like really trying to edit this poetry manuscript, like trying to get it, um trying to get it in a state to be viewed by like an editor's eyes and stuff. Um so like it's been, you know, it's been a whole journey. Like I often hear people say that it's very like emotional it's very heavy like reading my poems that I cover a lot of like difficult or heavy subjects and you know it follows that it's often very very heavy work to write it you know Um, Mm -hmm. so it's sort of this thing that it's like I keep you know being pulled back to keep having to like you know pour more thought more emotion into take breaks from it because it is (laughs) because it is intense you know (laughs) Um, yeah yeah you know and I yeah I just hope that people can enjoy it or that people can find you know that sense of comfort in it that I think is like why I why I share share poems and why I write them you know
0: yeah yeah cool um does it have a does it have a title yet or still in the still in the wings
2: it's tricky. I always like. I'm always like. Oh, I shouldn't share the title until the contract is signed and it's official. Oh, um, that's but... that's reasonable.
0: <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, the,
2: the title that I have right now it's called "You Were a Wild Thing Once Too."
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um. And. You know, we've already we've already talked about your other your other book, or else I would get you to plug your other book. Um, but where where can people get that one more time?
2: Oh, my other book. Yeah. So the Hammer yeah, yeah. of Witches, you can find it um, from Caitlin Press. It's published with Dagger Editions, which is the queer imprint of Caitlin Press. But yeah, it's just um, yeah, if you find it, it's on on caitlin press um if you cool, want yeah, we'll to request that your library stocks it then i get money for it being in the library um
0: yeah. wow
2: Sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's i always tell people you know if you like an author fill out the form so that their book is in the library because it will get money for it um yeah hell
0: yeah. yeah i know multiple librarians in the town that i live in that i'm gonna tell that awesome. right now Awesome! Yeah.
2: Definitely,
0: I appreciate it. Cool. Um, can people find you on the internet anywhere where you would like them to find you?
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, my <laughs> website—I just got a website built because I do all these different things and wanted a place to put them all together. So it's textandtextiles.ca. So cool. that's like where I where I put all all my shit. Um, and then my Instagram is Kelly Rose
0: Creates cool hell yeah
2: yeah
3: hell yeah
0: um well i think that that about wraps it up unless there you anything else that you want to want to say or um fun question from one interviewer to someone else who has done interviews in the world are there any questions that i didn't ask that you wanted to be asked
2: I don't know, what would your favorite type of poem be? Like, what's one of the best poems you've read? Why did it stick with you? What are, like, is there anything you've seen in a short story or in a poem that you, like, find yourself returning to that stayed with you as an image or as a line or whatever?
0: Great, okay. um, Now, do you want to answer it?
2: Do I want to answer it? (laughs) Let me see. You know, there is this poem by lynn crosby uh which is called villain l and it's a poem that's about eileen warnos uh who yeah yeah you know um and i I always return to that poem like i always think about it um yeah that's definitely one that i read it once and it stayed with me for life yeah
0: cool cool i'm gonna go look that up because i don't know what it is (laughs) <laughs> yeah no you should go for it yeah Bill and l by lynn lynn crosby great wonderful well thanks so much for coming on the show kelly
2: yeah thank you so much for having me yeah yeah have a good night you too bye
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell someone about it. Whisper its name in their ear. Listen to it while making clothes out of wool with your friends so that you too can go yell about it to the gods of winter, warm and snug. Also, you can rate and review and like and subscribe or whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. But really just tell people about it. It's the main way that people hear about the show and honestly one of the best ways to support it. However, if you want to support us in other, sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon at $10 a month, we will mail to you a zine version of the pieces that you hear here every month, anywhere in the world. You can also get access to an archive of old strangers' content, as well as discounts on things like t-shirts and books we publish find us at patreon.com slash strangers a tangled wilderness. Just to plug some other things that strangers and our friends have going on. Our first book, Triarchism for Life by Cindy Melstein is out. Um, Go find it in places that you get books. Our second book, Escape from Incel Island by Margaret Killjoy is currently out for pre-order. If you would like to carry our books in your bookstore or distro, if you're In the U.S., then contact our distributor, AK Press. Or if you're outside of the U.S., then get in touch with us on our website. A dear friend of the Strangers Collective also has a book out for pre-order right now. Nourishing Resistance, Stories of Food, Protest, and Mutual Aid. Edited by Ren Arai, along with a foreword by Cindy Melstein. The pre-order is currently live at pmpress.org, so please go check it out. Ren is an incredible writer, editor, and archivist. We are also putting out a new podcast soon called The Anarcho-Geek Power Hour. It's going to be a blast, and it'll feature several different Strangers Collective members, and we'll talk about nerd stuff. Our theme music is by Margaret Kiljoy, our zine layout is by Cassandra, and thanks to the lovely mountain goblins that mail out the feature every month. That's all my plugs, except for a very special series of shoutouts to these wonderful people who have helped make this podcast as well as so many other projects possible thank you ali paparuna milica boise mutual aid theo hunter sean sj Paige, mickey nicole david dana chelsea cat j staro jennifer eleanor kirk sam chris micaiah and Haas the dog i get so thrilled at how long this list gets thank you so much for your support it, means so much to us and has allowed us to get so much done as a collective. And lastly, a lot of the fe- these features on our podcast come from listeners like you. So if you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, consider submitting it. It might save someone's life one day. Next month, we have a short fiction piece by Alex Dial called Why the Wind Howls. Stay well. We hope you come back.